Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, I hope we all had a really sweet Beltane weekend. My sister got married this weekend to a really incredible person and she's the happiest I've ever seen her in my life and the wedding was on Beltane so that felt really sweet to celebrate and honor love for this weekend and I also got to do a Beltane ritual and jump over a fire together and lots of yummy Beltane magic with my partner last night and it was just so good. So I hope Beltane weekend felt nourishing for you too and also just offering a reminder that it's not a day or a weekend even, but a season. I honestly think of like the whole month of May as Beltane time. So if you didn't get a chance to work with love or pleasure or connect with nature in any way, it's all good. <laughs> you got time. Any time is a great time to do those things. Um, so I have an episode for you today with Ivy Kwong, who is a really amazing therapist, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her in a moment, but it's so funny. I listened back to this episode this morning as I'm editing it, and Ivy talks about how we date our parents, and in the interview, <laughs> which we recorded months ago, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely called out, and I've been reflecting a lot on relationship patterns and relationship dynamics and all of those things in my most recent relationship and all my relationships really um because a big breakup will just do that you know and i was reflecting the other day about how every single partner i've had until now until this partnership has been one of my parents (laughs) either my mom or my dad regardless of gender and how fascinating that is and Ivy speaks to this and I think she's right. I really do feel like my wounded inner children did a lot of the picking there. So it's really interesting and I don't know, just something I'm unpacking and thinking about a lot. I want to keep this intro short and sweet because I'm moving today. It's honestly a miracle that this episode is even happening. (laughs) I'm moving to West Philly today. Um, But with that being said, let me tell you a little bit about Ivy and then we'll get into it. So Ivy is a licensed psychotherapist and a writer and a speaker and she specializes in Asian American mental health, healing codependency, and healing ancestral and intergenerational trauma. She's an advocate for decolonizing mental health and has over 16 years of experience offering social justice-minded therapy and coaching. She's really incredible. She also wrote a children's book, called The Little Girl, The Ocean, and The Moon, which features a little Asian American girl remembering and honoring her dreams, which I haven't read but sounds incredibly sweet, and if you're a parent out there or have kids in your life, I mean, it seems like that would be a great book (laughs) to gift to someone little in your life. Um, I do want to offer a content warning for this episode. Um, Nothing gets too graphic or anything, but it's an episode about healing and it's an episode about trauma. So we talk a lot about trauma. There's a mention of childhood sexual violence. We talk about racism. There's a mention of racist violence. Um, So 
do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself through that or you know this is also an opportunity for you to opt out if you don't feel like you want to listen to those things today that is totally valid so we talk about ivy's healing journey healing being hurt in relationship through relationships reconnecting with the wisdom of our emotions self-abandonment through people-pleasing moving emotions how to know when something old is showing up and asking to be seen rage as an expression of love expressing our anger especially as people socialized as women inner child healing including for people who don't have a lot of childhood memories healing relationships with our parents people pleasing and codependency healing through setting boundaries all of the good things um so definitely check out the links in the description for ivy's work ivy also mentions a book and i mentioned an episode so those links are there as well for you um as well as a couple links to download some free things from me a free breathwork meditation a free healing meditation for ex-religious folks and my religious trauma healing workbook as always is available for you as well so let's get into it i hope this episode with ivy really supports um in re-listening to it i'm like oh yeah (laughs) got a lot more to unpack around a lot of the things she talks about so i feel excited personally to dig more in as this is just yeah really relevant to where i'm at in my life right now so yeah i really like to start the show by hearing about your journey so i'd love to hear anything you want to share about your healing journey and how you got to where you are now. Hmm. So the healing journey is one that will continue until the last breath. (laughs) And I will share the things that have impacted it uh, up until this point. Um, So I grew up in the Midwest, born and raised in the Midwest as the child of uh, immigrants. And I always think about, one of my specialties is ancestral and intergenerational trauma. So I can't really tell my story without telling a bit of my my elders and ancestors stories. Um, So I'll just share that my my father's mother was the third of three wives. Um, So his father had a first wife who he shared a home with. He had a second wife who he had bought an apartment for and his third wife, which is kind of the the lowest ranking wife, um, was given like a small monthly stipend and she had to work as a janitor in a restaurant to make ends meet. And my father slept on a, on a board nailed into a wall, like kind of like a bookshelf because there wasn't enough space in the studio apartment where he and his mother and several other families were staying at the time during the depression in China. And, um, he grew up, I, I think of a story that he never speaks of his past. Um, my father is very much the past of the past. It doesn't impact the future. It doesn't affect the present. We forget about the past. And I have such compassion in my heart because there's so much pain there. And sometimes it's easier to try and forget the pain, but I can feel my father speaks of it, even as saying, like, we don't talk about the past, like how much hurt there is there. But my mother told me a story where he was about to see his father waiting for him in a playground. And um, I think he he'd, would see him very rarely. 
And he was playing in the playground. His father shows up and he gets really excited. He runs across the playground to go run to his father. And he's not paying attention where he's going because he's like a little boy. And he gets kicked in the head by a kid on a swing and is bleeding and has to go to the hospital and like is just hysterically crying the whole time, not because of the pain, because he missed out on this opportunity to spend those precious moments with his father. And so I think about that a lot and about how he just, the poverty he grew up in, his favorite toy was like a empty medicine bottle that he would like fill and refill all the time. And just how our parents get to this point um, is always really moving to me. Uh, My mother's father's father like passed away from an opium overdose. Mm -hmm. And so he was an orphan and he had to be sent to live with an aunt in Hong Kong Um, who was going to take care of him and raise him. And he was told that he would have to pay his, for his stay basically, because, and he's, he's six. (laughs) So he, he, he tells a story of going and, and trying to get Dale newspapers and smoothing them out, trying to sell them, you know, for some coins the next day and then not making enough to pay his way. And so his aunt ended up giving him to a wealthy family to be um, their servant. Basically, he would he would serve them, he would clean, he would take care of things, and in exchange for room and board, so he could survive. And that was actually where he met my grandmother, who was another orphaned uh, house servant. And they ran away together when they were like 17. And, and he became like a pig slop farmer. Like he would drive like slop for pigs, and she had a little flower stand, and they had eight children they lost two because they couldn't afford the medicine to raise them. And, and this was their life. And so I think about how my grandmother made sacrifices to my father. So he could come to America as the first in the entire lineage to, to hopefully have a better life mm-hmm. and how the story of so many parents is to do their best to give their children a better life than the one that they had. And then my father coming to America and, and working hard and, being discriminated against a lot, which he also refuses to speak of. Um, I know that there are some really painful moments just in his trying to survive. My mother coming over, they're having me in Kokomo, Indiana, which home of corn and soybeans and the grand dragon. (laughs) So it's like for Asian immigrants, not exactly maybe the most ideal place to settle, but that was where I grew up. And so recognizing, um, that there was already so much healing to be had by my birth and also to begin mm-hmm. in, in this space. So just, and now I'm born <laughs> so now, <laughs> and my own healing journey. Um, for a long time growing up, I really wanted to be white. There is this desire to fit in, to be accepted, to not be the, the one with the different eyes and the weird food and, and the experiences of being all the things that, that little Asian kids go through in predominantly white spaces, which is, you know, the making of the eyes, the slanting eyes, and then the telling, you know, you eat dog and you're disgusting and all these things. And so just the, the grief of knowing already that you're an other that you're an outsider, that you don't belong and carrying that from such like a young age and trying to fit in by assimilating, right? Well, if I, maybe I'll have friends, if I can have them like me, if I can be as much as like them as possible, but then denying yourself. And I remember feeling 
ashamed, embarrassed of my parents who would speak with the accents that they do and who would show up in the ways that they were, which were not American. And I was embarrassed and ashamed. And even in spaces where I would, we went back to Hong Kong one summer. And I remember I would speak really loud English in the elevator. So everyone would know that I was American and not Chinese. And there is this complete denial of, of this sacred part of who I was. Um, and then there was, uh, I experienced childhood sexual abuse as during that visit to Hong Kong. And then there was the, we will not speak of that. We will not address it. We will not talk about it. And so as, again, like a six-year-old child, how do you process that without any sort of support? Um, and then all of these things compound. So I learned to be a people pleaser. I learned to accommodate. I learned to make sure everyone around me was happy and had their needs met and completely ignored my own and wasn't able to even get in touch with my own. What are my own feelings? What are my own needs? I don't know because I'm too busy taking care of everyone else's. And there is this continuation of, of sexual trauma at 16, at 18, and never stopping to address it. And that turning into this compulsive, I need to do more. I need to be better. I need to please more because maybe then I'll be safe. And so that's a really exhausting role to play. Yeah. You cannot find healing by seeking it from the sources that hurt you. And at the same time, if you're hurt in relationship, if you experience trauma relationship, it can only be healed through relationship. Mm. I went through a long phase in my 20s and part of my 30s where I kept going to the same poisoned wells trying to drink water. And there was a part of my journey where I deep dove into therapy. Mm, at the time, I <laughs> I realized now that my, my therapist was a, a white female therapist. And at the time, there was just not any understanding. And so it, the therapy was performed from a very Western perspective, um, which was as helpful at the time as it, it was. But later on, reflecting upon it, there was so much more. Um, that needed tending to. And so my journey of healing has continued beyond traditional white Western psychotherapy, I suppose you would say, by exploring a lot of different possibilities because there's so much more to it than what is offered in those spaces. And, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of decolonizing mental health and wellness. And so many, so many of our old sacred practices are, are, capitalized on and then sold repackaged and repurposed and sold back to us, you know, in so many ways. And so just going back to the source of so much of the ancestral wisdom has been a huge, huge part of my healing journey through the body, through the cells, through the spirit, not through the mind. Um, I always say that the mind is brilliant and very capable and also very good at talking you in or out of anything. <laughs> the mind is excellent at doing that. Um, and it can be so limiting because it can, it can only bring you to places that it's already been. And so really coming back to connecting with my, with my, with the wisdom of my emotions and my heart and the cells of my body, with my intuition, with spirit, reconnecting to like the rhythm of earth and the light and, and life. And there's so much more there beyond anything the mind could plan or imagine. But that is so deeply 
grounding, nourishing, and settling to like the soul and spirit. And mm-hmm. so I could tell a million stories, but that's a very general <laughs> overview. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable. And what you're sharing now is just making me wonder how that process of reconnecting to your emotions was like when it sounds like it was very much a family of like we push things aside we don't talk about them which is definitely my experience too mm-hmm. yeah what that journey was like that process yes let's speak to the reconnecting with our sacred emotions and the wisdom that they carry within so growing up, I was an extremely sensitive child and I was always uh, criticized for it. And and it was always something. I remember I have one memory of sitting and watching a news uh, story about a, a, an accident and parents had died and the child was orphaned. And I, I was crying because I was sad for this family. And I remember my parents basically being like, why are you crying? You're stupid to cry. Like, why do we, why you don't know them? They're strangers. Care about your family. Like, you know, that we don't need to care about others. We need to take care of ourselves, which again was so indicative of their own experience and having to focus on their own survival. Um, They couldn't even have the empathy for perhaps even themselves and compassion for themselves, much, you know, not to mention others. And so I started learning like, ooh, emotions are not something that 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 are okay <laughs> to express, to share, to have. Um, they were seen as weakness. They were seen as, um, my dad was like, logic is king. It's all ones and zeros, <laughs> you know, like very binary, good, bad, right, wrong, yes, no. Like this is how things are. And so the fullness and the richness and the infinite capacity of us to be everything, right? We, 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 we are walking contradictions. We are both fear and courage. We are both love and hate. We are both hope and despair, right? All the time. And yet when you cut yourself off to only be limited to like, we believe we we live in such a, a, a toxic happiness culture, right? Like what's wrong with you if you're not happy? And I think this pandemic has hopefully shifted that and really revealed how much of a lie that is and how limiting that is to the, again, the full depth and breadth of human experience. There's, so I guess for myself, for a long time, there was only, I was extremely just codependent. And by that, I mean, experiencing the feelings of others as my own. And, and not being in touch with my own feelings or it not being safe enough for me to be in touch with my own feelings. So being very, very hyper vigilant and aware of whatever, oh, they're uncomfortable. How can I make them, how can I make them comfortable? Oh, they're a little upset. How can I make them feel better? Mm-hmm. So not recognizing that I would have to abandon myself in order to tend to the feelings and needs of others so many times. And this was just a way of being, but it, works until it stops working and it never worked, <laughs> but there was definitely a buildup of so much resentment and anger. And I didn't know where it would come from. Mm-hmm. And it started coming out in, in my relationships, my twenties, where I'd have relationships and I would do everything for them and be so accommodating and sweet and good and nice. And then there are moments when I would just explode out of nowhere, like a one trigger would result in a 10 reaction. And there's there's a saying in the in the twelve step world that what is hysterical is historical, and I have a lot of issues with mm-hmm. the with the with that phrase. But if you just look at what it is, if you have a huge reaction to a small trigger, there's something old that is showing up. It's not about the trigger. 
there's something really old that is asking to be met, asking to be healed, asking to be seen. And for a long time, I didn't listen to it. I was like, oh, I just, I just get crazy sometimes. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then there was a point where I didn't want to go on the way that I'd been going on. I reached a point where I had gone from feeling extremely angry all the time to feeling nothing. Like there was this feeling of numbness where mm -hmm. I, it, it wasn't the high highs and low lows. It was just the void. And that scared me. So I was like, Ooh, uh Oh, and, and at the time, again, in my twenties, I would chase the highs. I would try and like go for something that I could feel and nothing worked. And that was really scary. And so that was really when I recognized like there's something happening. I don't know what it is and I need to tend to this, but how? Because traditional psychotherapy hadn't been working. And I'm a therapist, like my licensed psychotherapist and traditional psychotherapy in the ways that I was finding it was not working for me. And I will just say right now, like, CBT did not work for me, <laughs> like cognitive behavioral <laughs> therapy. I, I appreciate it and I understand it. And it's like, yeah, your thoughts affect your feelings, affect your actions. You change one, magically all the other ones change. I'm like, it's not that simple. There's like <laughs> so much more. <laughs> Anyways, um, so for me, there was this journey of allowing myself to feel and be with the hard feelings, like grief like fear, like discomfort, mm -hmm. and realizing that I wouldn't die by feeling them. Surprise, because <laughs> for so long I realized I'd been avoiding my hard emotions, hard, quote unquote hard emotions, because I thought I would literally die. And okay, I can survive that. Okay, can I breathe and be with it? And what comes up now? And what comes up now? And what comes up now? So there's, there's an exercise I do sometimes with um, with my clients where we sit and then we each take a breath and we check in what we're feeling emotionally, physically, just in our bodies. And we speak to that. And then we take a breath and we actually take turns. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to explore how that works because guess what? Your emotions shift and change <laughs> just mm -hmm. like the weather, you know, like the storm clouds might come, but at one point the sun comes out again and there's this constant ebb and flow. And so in opening myself up to that again, through, uh, I have a number of like experiential processes I can share later as resources if you or anyone listening is interested. Yeah. Um, but there is a process of recognizing that, that my emotions have always been there for me, not against me. And once I actually started to listen, started to ask some questions, started to be curious about them as opposed to afraid and and denying of them, everything changed. And I think... It might have been Elizabeth Gilbert who, who spoke to this, but she described emotions. She, she described things like you're the driver of your car. You're driving the car of your life. And emotions are like in the, in the passenger seat, in the back seat, and they're really loud and they want your attention. And you cannot let them grab the wheel of your car and like, you know, you take over the steering wheel and drive you off the road and into a tree. Right. And, and for so much of my life, I had allowed that to happen. That's why I was like, ooh, emotions are bad. I will have none of them. And recognizing that I could stay the driver, stay the one who is being and feeling and breathing, listen to them like, oh, yes, tell me more anger. Like, you're really mad, but I'm going to keep us safe. So you you tell me everything. I, I hear you. I've got you. 
I care for you, you're important. And I will keep all of us safe in this car so that we, we can get through this. And then so many times the feelings just want to be felt. They just want to be felt, acknowledged, heard, expressed, moved is really important. So you can move the emotions through literal physical movement. Like there's a shaking Qigong exercise that I really love. There's, there's literally pounding it out when you're running on the pavement, there's dance, there's movement, there's spoken word, there's poetry, there's art, there's music. There are so many ways to move and to allow your emotions to be expressed and to be felt. And then that's how they shift. And that's how they can come deliver their wisdom and then continue moving on to make space for others to come in. It's, it's a process that I didn't really fully embody till my mid thirties and that I'm continuing to explore in awe and gratitude. Yeah. I mean, it's such a process and I'm wondering if we could talk about anger and rage specifically because I know you've shared on Instagram and I wrote this down your sacred rage is an expression of love because I thought it was just so powerful and I think anger is hard for a lot of us to access or there can be fear definitely it's hard for me to access that because there's so much like fear around anger Um, yeah I'd love anything you want to share about your thoughts absolutely there there's certainly fear and conditioned uh just Fear is un- anger is unacceptable, right? Like especially as um, really for for those who identify as 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 female or female presenting or more femme presenting, there's this idea that no, 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 you can't be angry. That's not nice. <laughs> that is that makes us uncomfortable. That's not pleasing to us. Like please don't do that. And so we we take in all of these messages that oh, to be angry is not to be um, accepted. And so it gets all shoved down and all stored away. And how many generations of the women who have come before us have also had to stuff down their anger and silence themselves in order to be palatable, in order to be accepted, in order not to be uh, punished for having this Anger. So when I when I speak of sacred rage, when I speak of sacred anger, it is the the old deep anger in our bodies, in our cells, in our in our ancestry, in our lineage. So much of it that did not have the chance, where it wasn't safe, or wasn't allowed, or wasn't possible to be expressed, to be acknowledged, to be felt, to be seen, to be heard, and to reclaim that sacred rage now, to reclaim your sacred anger now is to allow it to be. I mean, anger is so powerful it, and it, it's, it's, it tells us what's important. It tells us when a boundary is being violated. It tells us when there's injustice. It tells us when something is happening that should not be happening. And it's there to try and protect us, warn us, care for us. And we've shut down this source of of wisdom, of knowledge, protection for so long, can we invite it back, allow it back, welcome it, thank it for being there for us and for those before us and apologize for the fact that it wasn't able to be expressed before, but reclaiming its gifts by embracing and inviting it to speak now in the times then it when it shows up and when it is. And so, Notice when you're feeling angry because there's a very, very important message that you may not want to hear 
that it's carrying with it. But you're invited just to listen, just to be curious. Where is this coming from? What do you have to tell me? And what do you need from me? And I'm a, I've done many, many primal screams, especially in the last year. <laughs> like, I'm a big fan of the primal scream. I'm a big fan of just the allowing it to course through my body, through my cells. And it doesn't destroy me, but it grounds me mm-hmm. when I allow it in like that. And it guides me. And I often invite in anger with, with grace and compassion and awareness and intention because I have also experienced just the the wild, unchained anger in my 20s where I was like blindly reacting to things that were not being tended to and were not being addressed. Mm-hmm. So anger for me in my 20s was a way to hurt other people because I was so hurt. And anger has become this guiding force of love. Mm-hmm. And so it's very different how I have been in relationship with it. And I, and I wish for everyone listening to, to connect with your anger, perhaps in new ways, and to develop a relationship that is healing for you and your anger and your rage, as opposed to harmful. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. And I love a primal scream as well. <laughs> Yeah, that just makes me think about how I feel like the most, you know, socially accepted way for people who are socialized as women to express their anger is through being like passive aggressive. I remember like my mom would kind of just like huff around or like slam cabinet doors or whatever, but wouldn't really like express the anger. And it's like, that's how we're okay with women expressing their right. it's just like this right. they're expressing it but they're not expressing it yeah they're exactly <laughs> acceptable ways that that are not too scary or direct yeah and yep. just so much compassion for your mom who must have been feeling so much and, and taking it out by the slamming of the mm-hmm. but never actually voicing and articulating it or speaking to it and mm-hmm. and requesting what was needed so yeah. Hopefully she is at a place where she can now or where you can now. And again, this is the healing of the, of the trauma that's passed down through us from generation to generation. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I see that in every birthing person in my lineage that I know of, like that was their way. And yeah, it's heartbreaking and so much compassion for that. And maybe we could talk a little bit more about working with this trauma that gets passed down through generations and yeah, what do we do with that? So all of, so there's, there's, there's right? Which is when you are in your, all the eggs that will become you are in your grandmother. So when your grandmother is pregnant with your mother and the egg of you is in your mother, which is in your grandmother, so that if your grandmother experiences trauma, then you know her unborn baby, your mother experiences that trauma. And then you as the unfertilized egg in your mother also gets traumatized. And so again, like this is literally in our physical cells. And, I, and again, I love talk therapy. I think that talk therapy can be super helpful, but it can't get into our cells <laughs> like necessarily, right? Like this is something that is embodiment that needs to be healed. on physical, emotional, spiritual, cellular levels. And so when it comes to healing from, for example, uh, the trauma of racism, 
right? And and the trauma. And I and I think about um, there's a book, My Grandmother's Hands. Yes, so good, isn't it? So good, right? Incredible author. Just talks about how trauma is passed down and stored in our bodies. So so in black bodies, you know, being being stolen from the lands and being and being ripped away from their from their families and being and being put to work in America against their desire and against their will. And then he talks about how there's also trauma in white bodies from all the trauma that happened during the Middle Ages, all of the torture, all the murder, all the death, all the pain and all the fear and how that literally gets passed on through the generations. And it comes out in ways that continue to harm ourselves and others if it is not tended to, if it is not healed. And so this can show up in any number of ways. And when it comes to healing, I think the first step is the awareness that it exists, that it's even happening. And so this can show up in any number of ways. Again, noticing when there's a 10 response to a one trigger, it's like, oh, okay, there might be some trauma, right? Like even being aware that, that, that there is trauma living in your being in your cells that, that is causing these explosions or outbursts or calls and cries for your care. And so once you recognize, okay, there's, there's something there, <laughs> I, I think it's so important, again, to be able to connect with your body in a way that feels safe, because our bodies may not have been safe spaces. And so I, I, sometimes there's this, feel your feelings, feel your feelings, feel your feelings. Yes, and at the same time, make sure that you have a safe and grounded container for whatever it is that you're going to be experiencing. So I encourage people to deep dive into grounding techniques. And this can be anything from walking barefoot on the earth, right? This can be anything to, to being really mindful, intentional about your breathing, like moving meditations. This can be any sort of like just love and so much appreciation for, for the practice of yoga, where you combine your body and your breath in this moment with what is happening now. And so once you are able to be more present, more grounded, more connected to your body in ways that feel safe, in ways that feel supported, in ways that feel true, then you can start the work of delving more into, okay, I'm triggered. <laughs> there's a lot coming up right now. And I can, so I believe that once there's awareness, you have choice and with choice comes freedom. So once you have the awareness that something is happening, you have the choice to keep doing what you've always done or the choice to do something different. And the choice to do something different can lead to freedom. So many times people say, oh, that's just the way I am. <laughs> that's just the way I've always been. FYI, the way that you are and the way that you've always been does, is not the way you always have to be. It's not the way you have to stay. And so even opening her up to the possibility that things could be different. And I think that again, when you check in with your deepest knowing and deepest intuition, do you deserve love? Do you deserve safety? Do you deserve protection? Do you deserve care? And at the core of your being, when you're quiet and when you're still, what mm -hmm. comes up? And if you're able to tap into that and tune into that, if it, it might be a very quiet, yes. It might be a softening of your body, but listen to that. So. There may be all these stories and everything that all of your trauma that may have been just suffocating that voice and trying to 
have you believe the lie that you are not worthy, lovable, just precious and sacred being. And once you can like that little quiet voice, like, okay, can that become your North star? And can the things that you do, the things that you choose support that, nurture that. And this is the process of unlearning and unwinding. And one of the most powerful ways that I found personally to heal from trauma, childhood trauma, for example, has been to do inner child work. So for me, that's recognizing that we carry every single part of us that has ever been within us. Inside of us right now is our two-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, like they are all literally within us. And if trauma has happened at any point along the way, then we may stay stuck in that emotional space, in that in that state. There are lots of us who are like six-year-olds dating in the world right now. And you don't necessarily want a six-year-old picking out your partner. You just say you know, they, they're doing their best. But, and, and so often again, trauma that happens in relationship must be healed in relationship. So sometimes you choose the same partner who is, happens to be very similar to the parent that maybe you didn't get what you wanted the most from, oh, you know, dad was too busy for you. He was working all the time. Well, how about I pick a partner who's always too busy, who's always doesn't have time for me, but I'm going to heal this wound by making them love me by proving that I am enough. And then I will heal my childhood wound, you know, with my dad who didn't I'm give me call it out right now. <laughs> Thing. This is a possibility, <laughs> may or may not resonate, but so often this happens. And so if you can connect with that five-year-old you, who's maybe not going to trust you at first, because they're like, no, 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 I keep us safe. You can't make decisions. I don't trust you to keep us safe. I'm going to keep, and you're like, you're five. <laughs> and so I really invite people to practice like a daily check-in, you know, if it resonates with your, with find a picture of you when you were when you were younger, at times when you were not getting what you needed. Can you check in with that you? Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you feeling? Is there anything you want to share to me with me? If there's anything you want to speak? Is there anything that you need? Can you be consistent and showing up for that precious little you who needed consistency, who needed love, who needed care? If they didn't get that, then can you give them that now? And in this process, there can be trust built. There can be wounds healed they may finally be able to rest and begin to trust you to make decisions and they they can they don't need to make the decisions and so maybe then you can start dating from the place of a 25 year old 30 or 40 year old you know as opposed to a 5 year old which is and you will pick very different people i promise <laughs> you than your 5 year old pick so again if there's a story i've always picked a certain type or i'm always drawn to a certain type there's a reason for that and is that what you want to continue and if it is not, that's where your choice comes in. And that's where the invitation to step into this work comes in. And it's not easy work. It's really hard. It's really confronting. It can be really challenging. And I believe it's the most, your healing work is the most important work you can do in this lifetime. It heals not only you, but it heals generations before you and after you. So, so much gratitude to those who choose to do it because as as one heals we all heal we're in this together we can't do this alone so true and so much gratitude to all the little ivs and all the little errands and all of our littles yes 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 so much love and so much gratitude yeah would do you have anything to offer for people who maybe like don't have a lot of memories or don't really you know, remember what they were going through or how they were feeling at like different 
times in their life or different ages around inner child work? So there's no need to know. Again, we always think, well, we, I have to remember, I have to know so I can address it, right? Like you don't need to know. You don't need to remember details. You don't need to go back to the specifics of any point in time. What you can do is address what is happening now. So if there's, if there's this anger that keeps coming up, you don't know why. This can put one option if you're specifically addressing this in inner child work is to, if you can find a photo, wonderful. If you can't, then just, you can sit, you can breathe, you can meditate, you can invite in, you know, your five, six, seven year old to join you in that meditative space. Maybe you notice what their hair looks like. Maybe you notice what they're wearing. Maybe you notice how they're turning away from you or curled up or sitting or standing and and just allow yourself to invite in whatever arises. And it doesn't matter how historically accurate it is. It just is. And then can you engage with this being as they are and not needing to, again, know, remember the details, but just can you connect with them as they are now? You may find that they may share with you things that you don't remember, but now do. You may find that they just want to listen and observe for a while. You may find them slowly opening over time and and beginning to share more. So you are perfect as you are in this moment. Mm-hmm. And you are welcome to this work at your pace in your way. And it looks like it will for you. It is uniquely yours. There's no wrong way to do this work. There's only your way. Yeah. I appreciate that so much. And as we're talking about this, I know you have a whole podcast interview you did about this, so I can link to it. I was listening to it earlier today, actually, but <laughs> around healing our relationships with our parents and having healthier relationships with our parents. So as we're talking about working with inner children, I'm just wondering if there's anything you want to share for people around yeah, healing relationships with our parents. So the relationship with our parents is one that is so just deeply ingrained within us. I mean, these are the people who brought us into the world. And there can be such deep grief and wounding there because our hum- our parents are human and fallible and they're going to make mistakes. <laughs> it's just guaranteed to happen. So I'm like, basically, I'm like, if you've ever had parents, you know, whether they, they are physically present in your life or not, then there's something that can be healed there in the relationship to them and with them. And I always say, you have, you have to get through the F you before you can get to the forgive you. So there's no spiritual <laughs> bypassing. There's no spiritually bypassing, like the, the anger, the grief, the pain, the very real and valid, like needs that you had when you were younger, again, for safety, for protection, for comfort, for care, for love, and the way that you wanted and needed it and may not have received it. And so let yourself feel that grief. Let yourself mourn that loss. Let yourself feel the anger of how you deserved that and you didn't get it. And go through that forever long, you go through that. And I went through that for years. I went through that for a very, very, very long time. And at one point there was a, okay, is this continuing to be what is most true for me? And one day that shifted. And one day it was, okay, the ang- so much of the anger has been acknowledged, expressed, felt, moved, and I'm ready for something different. What else is there? Mm. 
And that was the time where I started to acknowledge that my parents were flawed beings, that they were not these godlike creatures that had just decided to let me down. They were operating from their own traumas that to this day remain unaddressed and unhealed. And being able to see them from a place of not, I'm a little kid and you didn't give me what I want, Mm. but as a compassionate human to compassionate human, like, wow, that was really hard for you to have been raised without a father and with a mother who was extremely strict and cold and never said, I love you and hit you and never held you. And it must've been really hard for you to watch your siblings die because your parents couldn't afford medicine to to heal them. It must've been really hard to grow up in this country as a young 23, 24, 25 year old, a young mother without any friends, not speaking the language, being discriminated against watching someone like Vincent Chin in 1982, who was the Chinese man going out to celebrate his, his uh, engagement, you know, 11 days before his wedding, beaten to death by two white men who mistook him for being Japanese and blamed him for taking away their jobs and murdered him without any repercussions. I imagine my father living through that while trying to make a living at General Motors in Detroit where this happened to keep his family of six alive on his own and having to shove that away somewhere because you can't take time to feel what you feel if it'll prevent you from doing what you need to do to stay alive and to survive. And so I see my parents now, even to this day, living in survival mode and and living in a space where they are very fearful of many things. They are not trusting of many folks and they are very laser focused on okay, what are, what is the family doing and how can we protect the family in the best way we know how and, and loving them and thanking them for them doing the best that they could, the best that they knew how that was even more than what their own parents had been able to give them and being willing to do things differently on my part. I was the first one to say, I love you to my parents. I was the first one to hug them. And and to this day, I still go in for the hug. And my dad like awkwardly pats me on the back as he's very stiff. And my mom has started saying, I love you. And I, and I, I've been taking Cantonese lessons to try and reclaim my language. And I said, I love you to my parents in Chinese for the first time my entire life. And my mom responded by saying, ew, that's disgusting. And, and again, this place that I can be in now, right? Like loving her and having compassion for her before it would have been so deeply painful to receive that. And now there's a genuine, wow, you didn't get that. Mm. And, and there's such a strong visceral reaction of your discomfort to receiving that expression of love and appreciation and care. And okay, well, I'll keep saying it, (laughs) which is my choice. And this is how we heal. Mm. Yeah, I think what feels so helpful about that is like, it's not really about your parents. Like you can't control them. You're not making your mom say, I love you back. It's like you're, yeah, <laughs> it's your own shift. And not change them. Yeah. They are not to be changed. Yeah. They are who they are. Yeah, it's like your own shift and yeah, your own healing and what you're bringing to the relationship and how that can, yeah, like you shared, help the relationship start to change too. Yeah. 
I, I, I think sometimes that we're all these puzzle pieces mm. and we try and put together the best way we know how. And as one puzzle piece starts to change, if you start to change your shape, then others may slowly start to change their shape to fit or not. And either way, it's okay, but you can change your shape and allow the magic of life to do what it does. Oh, I love that image so much. I'm going to be thinking about that more later, definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, I know we don't have too much time left, but I did want to ask you a little bit more around codependency. And before we go, I think one of the things that really stands out to me that you've shared around is people pleasing <laughs> and how that part of codependency and I'm wondering if you have any words for the people pleasers among us, the attempting to recover people pleasers. Of course. Uh, well, first, just to describe again what codependency is, there are five responses to trauma. And so that's fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and faint. Mm -hmm. And so most people might be familiar with fight, flight, and freeze. So when you're triggered in a state of, oh my goodness, my life is in danger, there's a threat, uh, fight, flight, freeze. Fawning and feigning describe codependency. So fawning is a trauma response that is the extreme people pleaser. That is, I need to make sure you're okay so I can be okay. That's, let me make sure that I tend to yours, your needs, your feelings, you, 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 and abandon myself in the process so that I can keep myself safe. And then feigning is pretending to be less hurt, less needing, less feeling than you actually are because you don't want to risk being too much for someone, offending someone, insulting someone, hurting someone. So you shrink and you make yourself small and you silence yourself and you stay quiet and invisible. Again, to keep yourself alive because if no one knows you're there, they can't hurt you. But in the process, you hurt yourself. And so first I want to acknowledge that codependency is a way of responding to trauma that keeps us alive and it helps us until it starts hurting us mm -hmm. until we reach a point where it hurts too much to abandon ourselves and where we start to feel exhausted, depleted, resentful, and yes to being a caring person who considers other people's feelings but there's a line, right? There's like this, there's this scale. And it's like, are you doing that from a place of, of love and of abundance and of genuine like truth? Are you doing that from a place of resentment, anger, annoyance, fear? I'm doing this because I expect something back and you better give it back to me. Otherwise I'm going to be really pissed <laughs> like, or somewhere in between. Right. So, so codependency can be when it starts becoming more from the place of, resentment and exhaustion. And so for those of us who are people pleasers in recovery at different stages of recovery, I give you and invite you to give yourself, you don't need me to give you permission for anything. You don't need anyone to give you permission for anything. I take that back. <laughs> I invite you to give yourself full permission to have needs, to recognize what you want beyond your roles and what's expected of you, to recognize what makes your body and your system feel relaxed, feel at ease, feel joy, and to know that you are worthy of those things. So often for those who have been raised to be people pleasers and experienced trauma that have made us live as feigners and fawners, we don't know any other way. And our bodies and our nervous systems, again, are wired to survive. So there's this constant 
again, hypervigilance. I'm always looking out for something that is not okay so I can make it okay. So there's in the process of healing, there's the letting your body and your system know that it's okay. You can keep yourself safe. You can allow yourself rest and ease and comfort. And what would it be like to experience that with another? Mm-hmm. And that may be a journey, especially when it comes to one of the biggest things I work on with people who are also healing from codependency, which is setting boundaries and saying no. <laughs> it will save your life. <laughs> setting boundaries and saying no, the magic <laughs> word. So boundaries are so important because they, they define where you end and another begins. Mm-hmm. They are a way to teach other people how you want to be treated to say no to what you don't want and yes to what you do. And you have a choice. So often for people pleasers, they just take whatever they get. I take the crumbs that I'm given. I accept the treatment that I am given. I I just allow it to happen. And again, works till it stops working. And if if there's something or someone or a job or a person or a situation that is doing you harm, there's a boundary that you're invited to set in that space. Hey, that's not okay. Please stop. Hey, I'm not comfortable when you say that to me. Don't say that to me again. Mm. And then a boundary is just a suggestion unless it comes with a consequence. Mm. Because you can ask someone to stop commenting on your weight and they may keep on commenting So if you say, hey, you know, mom, if you comment on my weight again, I'm going to end this call. I'm going to, I'm going to go. I've asked you to stop. Please stop. This is something that isn't working for me. And the people who you set boundaries with, who are used to you not having boundaries, may get really upset. (laughs) But those who get upset the most upset about you setting a boundary are usually the ones who benefit the most from you not having boundaries. And so as you teach, as you first realize how you want and need to be treated, and as you take the steps to set the boundaries to teach others how to love you, you will get very valuable information about who wants to support you and honor you and respect who you are and what you want and need. And those who would much prefer you to be someone else for them who benefited their own comfort and well-being, even at the expense of your own. And those are the times when I'm going to invite you to check in and to ground and to choose mm-hmm. what feels best for you in that moment, what feels most true for you, and to practice and to practice. I, I always recommend practicing with people who are safer. Like who can I set a boundary with who's not going to get mad at me? <laughs> Right. Like, so start, start with like baby steps. You don't have to go like to the big, you know, like, Ooh, so we can start small and you can practice. And then just like anything else, the more that you practice, the more it will become part of you. The more that you will be able to write it into your story, even if it wasn't written earlier, Mm -hmm. you are always allowed to change your narrative and to become who you want to be as opposed to who you've been told, taught or limited to being. Yeah. I was in a class one time where the facilitator had us open our arms out really well, like stretch them out and just say, I have needs. And I was like, 
oh, it felt so good. I was like, oh yeah, I do have needs. It's okay for me to express those, to set those kinds of boundaries. Like that's okay. And it was really powerful. I love that. You are, I love the stretching of the arms because you're embodying it. You're welcoming it. You're standing in it. You are proclaiming it. Again, cellular level. I have needs and I am worthy of having those needs met. Yeah. That's powerful. Everyone listening should try that. I think so too, definitely. Ivy, I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is because the name of the podcast is Living Open. What does Living Open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Mm, I love those words and I love what it brings up and what it, what's coming up right now is just infinite possibilities mm. and incredible spaciousness. The fact that it life is not binary. There is no, there is no right or wrong, good or bad. There's only what is. And may you choose to be led and guided into what is, not necessarily by your mind, but by your heart, by your gut, by your spirit, by your intuition. And may that lead you to places you've never been. Mm. And so life will always rise to support you no matter what you choose. Mm. May you choose with ever deepening love and compassion and kindness and care for yourself and for all of us. We need each other. And so, yes, to living open to all of it. I love that. We need each other. Yeah, we really, really do. Can you tell people where they can find you online, follow you, work with you, all those things? Sure. Yeah, my website's uh, bearivy.com, B-A-R-E-I-V-Y, it's my bear soul. Mm. Um, and I'm at Bear Ivy everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Medium, Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward to connecting uh, again at the perfect time. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here, for everything you shared. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's listening and open to hearing and receiving. This is how heal and thrive together thank you so much for listening if you loved this episode please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on i appreciate it so so much and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show with an indie podcast you can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and i'll be back on monday with another episode make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.